So last year, I commented on my hearing after you mentioned your hearing. So I downloaded an app because there's an app for everything these days. And I think my ringing is at like 15 decibels all the time. And I am, for my age group, I am in like the 95th percentile of bad hearing. I've, my hearing is quite bad. That's so terrible. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me it's terrible because I know it's terrible. So I should give you this test. Wait, wait, wait. How long does the test take to do? Six minutes. Six minutes. Do you have time to have to do it now? I'm going to give you the test now. Okay. And we'll report back. Well, we've just completed the test. You did quite well. So, I apparently hear better than 87% of people in our age bracket. And you hear worse than... 95% of the people of people in so our... So, we're literally at the other end of the scale. But this probably explains why I'm like, Ting, you've got to stop. There's like this crazy noise going on. And you're like, la, 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 I think it's fine. It's like, no. Someone's like <laughs> drilling above us. You know, there's like fireworks going off next door and you're like, really? I can't hear it. Well, now this explains so much. Wow. What did you do? Uh, did you used to work in like... No, I just listened to music quite loudly. I used to listen to the music quite loudly. How loud are you listening to it? No, maybe too loud. So you're fine. Your hearing is... Perfectly fine. It's perfectly fine. Wow. Well, that's unexpected. <laughs> on that bombshell. We should move on. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. We're a book club for games. But not today. I have with me Sir Michael. Hello. And myself. Ting. I suppose I should say Ting. Thanks. So, where are we picking up from? It's 2018 again. It's not 2018 again, because we already celebrated 2018 in the last podcast. This will be the first podcast episode released in February that we're recording in advance because I'm going on holiday yet again. Sorry, I can't help it. By the time this podcast is released, you will have quit your job. Yes. And be temporarily unemployed before starting your new job. Yes. And I will be on a ski slope somewhere. (laughs) Skiing or boarding? Skiing. I don't know why. It's just what I learned first. Are you good? Not especially. I don't know. It's very hard to tell. I mean, no, I'm not good in an absolute sense, but I'm not bad. What colour are your runs? I would usually do blue and red. I can do a black run. Like, I would not be at risk of death. Well, I would be at no more risk of death going down a black run than anyone else. You know, like, it's obviously difficult. And... I'm not one of those crazy people who can, like, shoot down at 200 miles an hour by putting my skis together and, like, you know, rocketing down. I mean, I would find it difficult, but I could competently do one. Sorry for some. Sorry. It's the only sport that I do. So now will be a good time to pick up what we've been playing, I think. It's been a while. Has it really? (laughs) Has it not? (laughs) Well... 
thanks to all of the crazy time skipping and recording in advance, there hasn't actually been that much time elapsed. <laughs> There's less time elapsed. You'll be you. on holiday anyway. <laughs> Are you taking your Switch with you? Well, the, so the funny thing is, I brought my Switch with me when I went back to the UK for Christmas. And I actually did not play it at all. I literally opened up the case once to recharge it because I didn't want it to completely flatline. But I didn't play it at all. I originally intended to play Golf Story. I didn't play Golf Story. I, I literally didn't play it. What about on the plane? What did you do on the plane? I watched the in-flight movie. <laughs> I watched it. So what did you play? What did you play? The only thing I actually played while on holiday was Goragoa, which is the one Jonathan Blow said, it's really good, you should play it. And... Oz Technica also had a review of it that was very positive. So I bought it and I played it. And finished it. And finished it. It was very good. I finished it in 78 minutes. I could have refunded it, but I didn't because I'm not a terrible person. So yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it. Even if it was very short. It was quite... Well, was it inventive and imaginative and all the things other people were saying? Have I played anything quite like it? I haven't played anything quite like it, but Neither would I say it was groundbreaking. It was just a clever puzzle game with very nice artwork. But not clever enough. Well, it's not as if it was a genre-defining game. It's not like it's like, oh, now Goragoa exists. There's going to be this whole other kind of puzzle game that will be created. There are puzzle games that have spawned genres. You know, like Tetris has spawned like a genre of Tetris-likes, or actually pretty much just Tetris clones. Match 3 is like this whole genre of puzzle game like portal the concept of portals has become like a huge thing the witness i don't know really what that's done cereal box games <laughs> but goragoa is i don't know i i'm sure i have played things like it but i couldn't quite say what it's kind of like a hidden object game really it's just like a cleverer hidden object game with some sliding puzzles and lateral thinking. There's like bits of like Professor Layton or something in there too. I mean, there's... It, it was fun while it lasted. It was pretty short. It was inventive and imaginative. I'm not quite sure it deserves all of the mega hype and coverage it's been getting. Well, I mean, no, that's unfair. It's a good game. It deserves the coverage. But to me... I don't think it's like a genre-defining thing. But maybe I'm wrong. We'll see. But you also play a lot of Jackbox. Yeah, that's the... Yeah, okay. So, that's true. You know what? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I hardly played anything. Oh, apart from this and that and this and that. Yeah, over Christmas, yeah, we played boatloads of Jackbox and related party games because I was... I bought my Surface to edit the podcast and I was like, oh, we should all play. So I was playing... With my family and friends, yeah, we played Jackbox Party Pack, Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes, Drawful 2, yada, 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 a whole bunch of those games, because they're fun, you know, and I think a lot of my family and friends actually hadn't been exposed to that before, or at least, you know, the ones in the UK. Are you terribly competitive? Are you terribly competitive? No, it's all for fun. As, long, mean, as, so long, as, <laughs> as long as I win. As long as I win, yeah, that's right. I also played... SNES Classic because I received a SNES Classic for Christmas so again we were playing 
old school games, Mario Kart, Street Fighter 2, and I also played Star Fox 2, which I'd been wanting to play for a long time. And you finished it? I finished it first time. Well, I think there's actually more to it. I think there's difficult difficulty modes and there's other kind of randomised bits that can happen that I didn't see. Because I, I just played one playthrough on normal difficulty. And it was intriguing, but not as good as Star Fox 1, actually. Not as good. Because... It has this whole clever roguelike type thing going on with Andros attacking the Lylat system and it playing out slightly differently each time, like which planets get invaded, what missiles and ships and stuff get thrown at you. But the actual individual missions are definitely not as good or fun as the original Star Fox, which was a very straightforward shooter basically a very well balanced interesting shooter with what were at the time good graphics but now are shockingly blocky polygony 10 frames per second graphics so star fox 2 somehow has even worse frame rate than star fox and the levels are actually relatively short and uninspired like they don't they don't feel as epic or interesting like there's a bit of Star Fox, or Star Wing, if you're from the UK, where you have to attack Andros's armada, and there's essentially like star destroyers that you're flying between, and so on, and there's, there'll be a big boss at the end. And in this, you can attack one of those star destroyers, and you, you know, you're flying into it, and it looks really epic, but it's over very quickly. You kind of just like fly at the star destroyer, and then like land in the hangar and convert into like a walker tank, and then just walk through some very boring looking corridors and blow up a power core and it's like there's no excitement there's no like pacing to it so you can kind of see why they didn't release it in a way a lot of the best elements of it i think did go into star fox 64 which was more traditional in the sense of it played a lot more like star fox or star wing where you had the linear paths and it was a straightforward shooter and then the kind of strange you're on a walker walking through a, a very blocky base. I think that actually came in in some of the later GameCube games and people complained it wasn't fun. And yeah, it's not really fun to Star Fox 2 either. So I guess they do know what they're doing. Impromptu review of Star Fox 2 done. Wouldn't recommend. I, I would recommend playing it if you get the chance, but I wouldn't buy a SNES Classic just for Star Fox 2. But there's plenty of other really great games on SNES Classic, so I would pick up a SNES Classic if you're interested in any of the others. Also, I completely got my butt handed to me on Mario Kart and Street Fighter 2. You know, I've, I've played these games before against other people, like at the Retro Games meetup and stuff, but it's all been like, oh, la, la, we're all having good fun, whatever. And no one's been particularly, like, despite the fact they're all retro gamers, none of them are particularly good at these games. And so just my natural memories of how to play these games from the past has been good enough to, you know, carry me competently through. And I'm, you know, competitively on a level with these other people. I could win at least half the time or more. One of my friends from the UK buys, like, retro gaming magazine and is also into retro games and stuff. And we played <laughs> Mario Kart and Street Fighter. He just completely destroyed me. I mean... The warning sign should have been when we started playing Street Fighter 2 and he started talking about zoning and control and, you know, using this to, like, you know, get control of this thing and the speed of attacks and animation priority. And I was like, 
uh-huh, uh-huh. And then he just like completely annihilated me. And then he was like, oh, it's fine. You can put the handicap up. And I was like, we put the handicap up to maximum. He's still just... <laughs> so it goes to show that against someone who actually knows how to play, I'm definitely not very good. <laughs> yeah, he was operating on a whole other level there. I mean, later on I did better, but I think he was holding back just to, to make it more fun. So this was on the SNES Classic as well? Yeah, this is on the SNES Classic. Have you played any PUBG recently? I have played a bit of PUBG since getting back, but nowhere near as much as I had before Christmas. I mean, the thing is, I have been busy, and I actually have only been back for like a week and a half. But yeah, I played a bit, and actually we've won quite a few games as well. Since coming back, we've actually been playing in first person, surprisingly, rather than third person. And I don't know if it's just that in Asia nobody plays first person, but we were we're doing really well. Like, on average, we are top 10 or winning. And there have been... I mean, maybe, again, it's because we've only just started... Well, I've only just started, so my ELO or my matchmaking rating was really low. But again, there have been times when someone's been shooting at me and I've just been like, oh, they're a terrible shot. And I've just, like, stood out in the open and just headshot them, even though they had the drop on me and were shooting at me first. You know, it's like, learn to shoot, mate. Bang. I'm just going to loot your body now. It's like, thanks for the four-time scope. Sorry, I'm just <laughs> the, the funny thing is also, with a duo's rating of like 1,400 third person, which is what I had from like the small amount I played before Christmas, that puts me, what, three point something millionth in third person perspective. Playing like five games, duos, first person, my matchmaking rating is also 1,400 for first person duos. That actually puts me 11,000th which is crazy. It just goes to show how many more people in Asia play third person than first person. I think in the US, it's actually the opposite. I think in the US, first person is more popular, or at least that's how it seems to be from Reddit. Then again, you probably can't really trust what you read on Reddit. Reddit has also become this like, well, actually, the the comments on PUBG, on like everything PUBG related, has become this complete cesspool of ban China, block China, you know? It's really crazy. And there's like, everyone's going, it's like, oh, you do realize most of your North American players have stopped playing. It's just really weird to see it because obviously PUBG Corporation, it's a Korean company. It's based in Asia. Most of their money, I guess, is coming from all this like massive Chinese player base who are just spunking tens of thousands of dollars on cosmetic in-game items. I guess they don't care about America. It's really funny. And like, Reddit, which is obviously very American-centric, is just raging about it. They're talking about Chinese cheaters, all these Chinese people, I can't understand them when they're playing. And I guess PUBG just doesn't care because they're just printing money. I mean, it's a transient situation because eventually the 10 cent version of PUBG is going to come out and it will quarantine China. But at the moment, yeah, much vitriol. Oh, a funny PUBG story. So one of the things that came in the recent patch were two new kinds of crates. And one of these crates needs a key to unlock. So you've got to pay real money to unlock it. I was just selling them because I was like, this is garbage. I'm not paying real money. Well, beyond the real money I've really spent. Anyhow, the guy I play duos PUBG with, Roger, 
he paid real money to open one of these crates and he got an item that has a 0.32% chance of dropping. Oh, sorry, I should say another tangent. PUBG published the percentages of all their items as well. So that's how I know this. So, you know, we speculated that they would have to do this and, and they have. So in the patch notes, it actually goes and says, in this crate, there are these items and this is the percentage chance of the item dropping. So 0.32% is the rarest item you can get from this crate. And he got it. And it was worth 12,000 Hong Kong dollars. That's like a thousand pounds. I mean, that's serious money. Yes, it is. But unfortunately for him, you can't actually sell the item immediately after getting it. You actually have to wait a week because from Steam's perspective, you paid money for this item because you paid for the key to unlock the crate. And so the only people who were able to sell their items from these crates initially were people who had bought the keys in advance and had the key in their inventory for more than seven days. So he was just sitting on this item for a week watching the price. And once the seven days elapsed, well, the seven days elapsed for a lot of people and the price has just cratered. So sadly, I think he's only going to be able to get, what, two and a half thousand Hong Kong for it instead of 12,000. It's still serious money considering he paid about 20 Hong Kong dollars for the key. So he's made a very significant profit from that. What happened in between? What happened in between? Oh, nothing. It's just that everyone who was lucky enough to get an item like this when the crates first dropped, well, unless they had planned ahead and bought keys and held them in their inventory for seven days prior to these new crates dropping, they would have had to wait seven days after opening the crate before they could sell their item. And so the supply of these items just suddenly became... They went from being incredibly rare to... Still extremely rare, but much, much, much more common. You know, instead of there being like three of them for sale, there were hundreds for sale. I still can't believe anyone's going to pay that much for a cosmetic item in-game, but people are. That's the thing. Someone is paying this. You know, you can see multiple, multiple sales of this item for thousands of Hong Kong dollars, which is equivalent to hundreds of US dollars. I mean, it's, it's a significant amount of money. It's crazy. It certainly is. It's only a matter of time before you start spending that kind of money. Only if I win the Mark Six. The Mark Six being the Hong Kong Lottery. Couple more, seven days to die. Golf with friends. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I'd forgotten about this. Golf with friends was just a random one. We just thought we'd try out. I mean, it's kind of fun, but I would say it's nothing special. Seven Days to Die, it's a zombie survival RPG. I blame this for my terrible jet lag <laughs> or recovery because we were hosting the game on my PC, so I felt like I couldn't stop playing or the others would have to stop. But I really wanted to go to bed at about 11, but we ended up carrying on until about three in the morning because the others just wanted to keep playing and I was just like, oh, gee. Please, no, please just let's all die so I can go to sleep. I actually spent multiple hours in game just digging a hole. It is one of those things where you think you've got great luck and it turns out to be really bad luck. Like, it seems like a blessing, but it's actually a curse. I found a treasure map and I was like, oh, I found a treasure map. It's like, yeah, here's the treasure. Go to these coordinates and dig it up. 
So I went to those coordinates and I expected just to find a box there and get the treasure. But no, you really have to dig it up. And the map doesn't tell you the precise location to dig. It just gives you like an area. So I went to that area and just started digging. And looking at the wiki, it just said, oh, you have to dig down, what, like two or three meters to find the treasure. But the problem is the location of the treasure was actually on the edge of a mountain. So it was kind of like as a mountain ran down a steep cliffside into a river. So half of the area was underwater and half of it was mountainside. So I was like, do I have to dig under the river? Do I have to dig into the mountain? And if I dig into the mountain, is it two or three meters below the surface of the mountain? Or is it two or three meters below sea level? And so I was just digging for hours. I literally excavated half of the side of a mountain. And eventually, eventually the other people I was playing with came to help me out because it was just so ridiculous. And we were, we were digging and digging and digging. And it turned out it was actually somewhere in the riverbank. Like, it wasn't in the water. It was just on the edge of the water. But it was ridiculous. Like, oh, jeez. What was the treasure? <laughs> it was like garbage. It was just like some gold nuggets and silver nuggets. And I was like, well, this is really helpful when we're being, you know, assaulted by hordes of zombies. Thanks. Thanks for the gold, mate. Yeah, so that's my enduring memory of Seven Days to Die. Digging a very big hole. It's a good story. It's a good story. It's like it's like when I tried to play Ark. You know, it's like all these survival games just end up with ludicrous stories. I I think if I tried to play it again, I would just ignore the treasure map. I think I think it probably would be more fun to play it if you actually were playing on a more hardcore way. That like the most efficient way to refill your food and water meters at the moment is just to die, which is not really very serious. We should we should probably play differently. But yeah. So what have you been playing, Ting? Not very creative, if I'm honest. I'm playing the same old stuff I play every year. Which is? Call of Duty World War Two. Oh, okay, fair enough. So I finished the campaign. I enjoyed it, but looking back on it, why did I bother? Could have done something much better with my six hours. Like dug a big hole. <laughs> yeah. And I got FIFA 18 from my brother-in-law. So I played some of that. I tried to get away from it, but it came back. Super game. <laughs> oh, you got me City Skylines. A, a while back, yeah. It was playing, in Humble Bundle, yeah. I've been playing quite a bit of that. Have you played any? I've not played any, no. It's quite good. City Skylines is less about the simulation-y balancing the budget aspect and more about just making a pretty city, isn't it? But it's not as pretty as SimCity. Really? It's not as charming. It's not as pretty. But it fills a need. Yeah, something about building your own model village. It has been a long time since I've played one of these games. I, I would enjoy it, I'm sure, if I played it, but I just haven't got around to it. I don't know how SimCity handled progression, but as your population grows, more amenities unlocked for you. And there are a ton of achievements. So it... There is longevity. I thought it would just be a bit... Everyone said it was just a bit pointless. But you like it? Mm, for now. I might get bored of it later, but so far so good. And I wanted to say I finished Mario Odyssey, finally. 
So, like, you finished the tutorial. Yes. And I know this week I've been asking, talking to you about what next, what's your plans for it, what should be my plan for it. I think I've come to the conclusion that I'm just going to play as much as I can. And then once I've done exploring it once over, I'm just going to call it a day without a target for once in my life. So I'm not going to try and get the dark side of the moon nor the darker side of the moon. Spoilers, Ting. Spoilers. Well, mild spoilers. Yeah, there's there's a couple of places you can get to after the end. I mean, we should talk about Mario Odyssey at some point when we've both played enough. Well, I mean, whatever enough means for each of us. So in the same way I played Zelda, I just found all the shrines I could, didn't try too hard to find them, tried a little bit to find them, and then just called it a day. I think I'll do the same. I almost feel like I've already called it a day on Mario Odyssey, surprisingly. I played it, I enjoyed it. I finished the game or the tutorial, depending on how you look at it. You know, I beat Bowser, got back the princess. And then, yeah, now there's this kind of post-game exploration, get more moons, unlock a couple of extra additional areas. That's where we're both at now. So, I don't know. I kind of feel like I've... Will I pick it up again? Will I put it down again? I just... I'll play it when I feel like playing it. Right now, I don't particularly feel like playing it. So, you've made no concerted effort to you've you've unlocked one yeah i made a concerted effort to unlock the first of the additional areas and then i have actually played the second of them not on my own save game but i've played on someone else's switch so i have seen it and played it but i we didn't finish it it is actually genuinely quite the thing is actually mario odyssey is genuinely quite a difficult game i i do think we should talk about it at some point in the future when everyone else is bored of it and everyone else has talked about it and we're like a year late. But, you know, we should talk about it at some point. It's much more satisfying for it. The fact it's challenging. And the last one I wanted to, I put down was TF2. So it's, it's, this game is 10 years old now. I don't know if I talked about it at the end of last year. So this, they have this Jungle Inferno update. I have literally no idea about anything to do with TF2. Like, I played it when it first came out. I haven't played it since... But I basically haven't played it since they introduced all the hats, which is basically like nine years ago, you know, so. This thing is still ongoing. I can't believe it's still going. And they have contracts. You have to buy the contracts. What? They're just achievements. As I understand it, they're just achievements. Do they reward you hats? I think there's loads of rewards. There's rewards everywhere. And there's like a a graph of contracts. You do this one, unlocks another one, and then they'll split. You can do choose between the two and you just progress through the graph like that it's pretty in-depth and i can see why it's still going this is why we don't have half-life 3 they say at valve people can work on whatever they feel like and for some reason they've just decided to make graphs of contracts and many hats instead of actually what the hell what have valve done what have valve done i mean i guess they're still making steam distributing everything and just printing money they don't need it they don't need to make anything new Sadly. Yeah, maybe as an individual, your your compensation is tied to how much money you can make. And everyone's like, it's a no-brainer, guys. Come join the TF2 team. <laughs> just come. Just come. <laughs> come make hats. Come with me. Da, 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 in a world of da, 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 hat hats. Uh, I, I would join the TF2 team, if I'm honest. Are people who work at Valve motivated by money? I would have thought they'd want to go there to, to be creative and make... I don't know, make amazing things. 
if I went to work at Valve, I wouldn't be going to work at Valve for the money. I'd be going to work there for the... Well, number one, they wouldn't hire me. But number two, I'd be going there to try and make something. You know, if I wanted to make money, I'd work at a soulless financial job. Oh, wait. Um, <laughs> actually, having said that, you can probably make considerably more money working for Valve than you would working for a bank. I think so. I don't understand how it works. Given the cult... No, we ha- we know about the culture there. And it sounds like if your project is popular, it's a goer. I don't understand why they can't get enough critical mass there to work on Half-Life 3. Well, I, I kind of do understand in a way that where do they go with Half-Life? Like, it had a time and a place, and it's like it's like Duke Nukem Forever now. They, if they made Half-Life 3, it would be a disappointment. I cannot see any... You know, I would love it if they would surprise me, but I actually don't think there's any way they could make Half-Life 3 and it not be a crushing disappointment. So it's better that it just never happens. Another funny thing that I read, actually, on Hacker News, which is kind of like a technical kind of Reddit. It's not really technical. It's more like startup industry kind of... Anyway, whatever. Programmers like to read it. It pointed out that, like, wow, the best package manager on Windows is actually Steam. You know, for, for application distribution and patching and general maintenance steam actually does a much better job than anything else on windows but you can only get games and kind of game dev tools on there imagine if you get like microsoft office through steam instead of through the stupid windows store the windows store is just oh dear it annoys me This week, recently, the big news as of the moment we're recording this podcast, which may or may not be big news by the time this goes out, Nintendo Labo. I saw a really funny meme, as you know, I love memes, showing Shigeru Miyamoto and some loot boxes, and he had like his arms in X shape and was making a sad face. And then it showed Miyamoto and a cardboard box, and he had like two thumbs up and a big green tick. So, imagine Google Cardboard. No, wait, Nintendo Cardboard. Yeah, it's just cardboard bullshit and Nintendo games. Actually, no, I'm being really unfair. It actually looks really cool. I actually think it looks really cool and very clever. What is it? Let's go back a step. Well, actually, yeah. What the hell is it? You describe it, Ting. So, the Labo kit will give you some some software and a bunch of cardboard cutouts. And you just push out these cardboard cutouts and you can construct a fishing rod, a steering wheel, a piano. You slide it all together and as part of that construction, you can slide in your your Joy-Cons and it'll make use, I don't know, of the gyroscope or the infrared. And you can, there'll be a, maybe a place for you to slot in the the Switch console and you can interact with it. So maybe... You have a steering wheel, a Joy-Con is attached to it, and you'll have a screen to show you where you're driving. I don't know if that's real or not, I'm just making up. Yeah, I think there was a steering wheel on one of them. I, I don't, they don't think they've shown what game goes with it, but they just showed 
all these very elaborate kind of origami constructions out of cardboard. And some of them are really elaborate. There's all sorts of string and pulleys and stuff inside them. There's two sets, I think. Well, number one, they call the cardboard things that you make toy cons, which I thought was quite cute. And then there's two sets. So one is just kind of like these RC racing cars. I say RC racing cars. It's more like a little like insect almost that you you can put the Joy-Cons in and like drive it around like a little figurine of a man uh, who can kind of like walk or like fall flat on his face in the in the demo video, uh, like a piano, a little house. So there's one set that has that. And there's another set that has like a robot that you control, like a giant kaiju robot. So you put on this backpack and like there's a sensor on your foot, a sensor on your arm, maybe and a sensor on your head. And it shows this guy wearing this backpack and like punching with his arm and the robot on screen punches as well and like smashes down a building and then he kind of like ducks down and the robot transforms into like a car and like drives off I mean, it looked really cool and then the really clever thing is how is this all done because if you think to the kind of we era of bullshit plastic peripherals it was all kind of custom weird well Actually, no, there were two distinct types. You had the types that were just literally plastic shapes, like the stupid golf club or the little steering wheel. And then you had another type, which were obviously actual custom, literally custom controllers that you just plugged the Wii controller in as a means of communicating with the console. And really by that, I'm thinking of things like the Guitar Hero guitars, for example, that kind of thing. How do these Toy-Cons work? They're all just cardboard. But I guess... The infrared camera in the right Joy-Con actually has enough resolution and distinguishing capacity to to tell like the distance and read certain kinds of like patterns on the cardboard. So, you know, the way the piano works is by detecting which key you've pressed by looking, you know, it's like a lever. When you push the key down, it's going to move the key inside the box that the Joy-Con is pointing at. And it can tell from that which key you've pushed to make the appropriate noise. And then you're putting in this like cylinder that has like different colors of like black and white stripes on it. And it can read which way you've turned that cylinder by looking at like the barcode essentially on it. It's, it seems very clever. Even the, the robot, the way it's detecting which of your limbs is moving is by you holding kind of, well, a rod connected by a string, which is pulling a pulley which is moving a white strip up and down inside the backpack and the infrared camera is just watching that white strip. So by looking at how far up and down it's moved, it can infer how far out your arm is extended. It's it's really smart, actually. I mean, time will tell whether it really plays well. It's so cute. I, the one I actually thought looked the cutest was the little house. Did you see this? There's a little house and it shows you put like the the Joy-Con in the chimney of the house. And then it shows him like putting in this like button on the side and going boop and hitting the button. And inside the house on the switch, which you've kind of put on the front of the house, like it's a big window, you see like this tap appear. And then he like, when he boops the switch, like the tap turns on and the house starts flooding. And this little person inside the house is like running around panicking. It looked really cute. So there are different ways to interact with that house. I have literally no idea. I mean, what I was saying would be really cool is if they kind of opened it up to to kind of like mashing up or hardware hacking yourself, because if they let you kind of choose the calibration and detection of the 
of the Joy-Con yourself and let you build your own different kinds of cardboard construction. I thought that would be really cool rather than just taking their pre-built kits. Yeah, but then there has to be a Labo store. Yeah, I, I guess what I'm saying is, you what? know, we talked about Dreams, which is like Little Big Planet, you know. Imagine a game with the kind of design capabilities of Dreams and Little Big Planet that could also interact with the real world by combining it with the Toy-Con style, making a cardboard shape and detection of the Joy-Con. You could make a game in the Dreams Little Big Planet style, and you could also make your cardboard cutout design and put it on the internet for other people to download and enjoy. I mean, it's a lot of work. I agree, hardly anyone would probably really do this, and that's why maybe it's not worth their while to do it. But it would still be really cool. Uh, I'm sure hobbyists will do it. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the really elaborate creations people make in, in even stuff like Mario Maker, people made really elaborate and really clever stuff. If you give people the tools, they will make it. Would you buy it? No. No, me neither. <laughs> I'd, I'd really like to play it. I don't think I'd buy it. Even if it's quite small when it's all flat-packed, once you've built all this cardboard nonsense, you know, where are you going to put it? <laughs> I also don't think it's really aimed at us. Yeah, it's the cardboard nonsense that's annoying. Y- you could buy it for, uh, you know, baby Abby. Yeah. She's probably a bit young. I know. She might like to eat the cardboard. <laughs> like, you can eat other cardboard, but don't please don't eat this £60 cardboard, please. <laughs> at least you won't eat the cartridges. At least we know that for sure. Yes, that's true. So, on top of that, you can buy stickers stencils yes there's like a customization kit that so it looks as well the customizations look cool i'm really excited that i live in a world that allows for this madness i just really like the trailer i thought that you know it's really interesting that's going dung dung playing the piano then he like plays an arpeggio on the piano and it all like comes to life it was just it was just so beautiful it made me it made me feel like oh the world's a wonderful place what a world we live in they can make cardboard come to life Yes, I agree. I agree. It's it's madness. It's madness that this is allowed. I don't believe any other film would allow for it. Allow it. Yeah, and the, and there's the bit which is like the Tweety Bird or like a camera or like a flare gun. It's like all these other crazy things that, you know, they showed. They didn't show the games that went with these or whether they were even in the Labo Pack 1 or something. But you, you can see that there's they have other ideas. There's further they can take this. So two more questions for you. One of them was Amiibo. Oh man, I hadn't thought of this. What about Amiibo Ting? Yeah, what what about Amiibo? Would you bring Amiibo in? You'll bring Amiibo in. I don't know if you bring Amiibo in. I guess they would bring Amiibo in. I mean, I obviously am not a huge Amiibo fan, so... Yeah, you could have your Amiibo in the house. Yes, you, I suppose you could have your Amiibo in the house. I'm just shaking my head now. I'm just thinking, oh geez, way to bring me down, Ting. And the second one was, what do you think the expectation is for this? In terms of what they really expect to achieve for it to, you know, for them to continue. How many times can we sell cardboard for $60? A lot. It's smart. It's cool. It's it's Nintendo's going back to their roots as a toy company. I think a lot of people have made the observation, so it's probably not original in the slightest. But still, if you think back to when the NES came out... The NES was actually marketed not as a games console because of the terrible games console crash, but it was actually as a toy and it came with Rob the Robot. And it's kind of like an extension of that. It's again, it's taking their 
virtual, you know, virtual world is in the computer games and making them affect the real world. And it's a smart way of doing it. It's recyclable. It's cardboard. It's cheap to produce. But, you know, just because it's made of cardboard doesn't mean you can't have it be a piano or be a robot or something, you know. They're, they're using the very smart and sophisticated sensors and gyroscopes and so on. You know, if I, even, even like the HD rumble, I guess, to make the little car move. You know, it's, it's very smart. You can make cardboard come to life. I, I'm impressed. I'm actually impressed. I would, I would not have thought of it. But now I've seen it, it's made me think, wow, actually there's all these possibilities. First raw water... Now freaking cardboard. We need, we need, we need, come on. We've got to get in there. <laughs> You're right. You're right. What, what's the next bullshit thing I can invent? Raw cardboard. Nintendo Earth. You plant your Joy-Con in the ground and water it. No, I, I have no idea. You're right. But yeah, there's so much processing power, actually. It's so trivial now. You know, even like in websites now, I realize like if you give a website access to your webcam and it can just be drawing funny stuff on your face or something, you know. You could have games that are controlled by looking at your face. You could just make stupid faces to control it. Why not? Custom sensors, custom nonsense, image recognition. I don't know. It's amazing that... I'm really surprised that the infrared little doohickey on the end of the right Joy-Con can actually do this much. Because previously, all I'd seen was that stupid game in 1-2-Switch where you have to pretend to eat the sandwich. And I was like, why do they even have this sensor? This is a waste of time. I've not even played that game. Oh, well, good for you, because it's the, terrible. The sandwich one, not one, not one, two switch. Yeah, it's so bad. That's literally the only time I've seen the infrared sensor be used before, and I was just thinking, this is so pointless. But now I'm actually thinking, wow, good thing they put that sensor on. You know, now I understand why it exists, and it it must actually do more than I realised if it can do all the stuff we're seeing in this Labo, you know, Labo video. Did stocks go up as a result of this? I think they did. I think they went up some crazy amount. Oh, I don't understand. I don't understand this world. They really, I guess the margins are just too good. Yeah, they, they realise they can sell cardboard for a significant <laughs> amount of money. I don't understand. We've got to have a world where you eat dirt. Look, you, we've got some special dirt for you to eat. Please buy it from us. You know, people do actually eat clay from this particular forest in Germany or something. It, it actually is a thing. I'm not even making it up. We need to get in on that. We need to get in on this I don't even know when this when this was announced. But there's a lot of hoo-ha about Dark Souls being remastered for all three current no, all for all four platforms. So wait, 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 all four? Oh wait, okay. PS4, Xbox One, PC, PC, and the Switch. Yes. But I think the Switch announcement has sort of been what everyone's been paying attention to. Apparently, the Switch port is actually being done by a different company to the other three. Yeah, Qlog? Yeah, so the Switch one is done by this Chinese company, and the other three are all being done by this Polish Oh, have I got around the wrong way then? 
I don't know. I might be wrong. <laughs> oh, fact check me. Fact check me. Ir- irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Cut me out if I'm wrong. Nah, who cares? Who cares? Who needs facts? Alternate facts. No one cares about facts anymore. Trump doesn't need facts. We don't need facts. <laughs> Sir Michael does not need facts. Sir Michael's facts are always correct uh, in Sir Michael's head. Anyway, enough talking about myself in the third person. <laughs> if Sir Michael says they become facts. Are you going to play Dark Souls? No. <laughs> no. The bonfires were already generous in Dark Souls 3. It was still painful. I've heard the Dark Souls bonfires are not as generous. And people are concerned that they will be be made more generous. That's another discussion maybe you should talk about. Dark Souls is by far the best of the series. By far the hardest. Question mark. Yeah, probably. Well, for me it was the hardest. It might just have been because it was the first one I played. Fun fact is... Fun fact. Is it a fun fact? Mike fact. I've actually never played the expansion for Dark Souls. So Artorius of the Abyss. I had it because it was on Prepare to Die Edition on the PC, which is what I had. But I never actually did the expansion content. I I started it and I just found it so hard that I was like, oh, I can't deal with this. I think if I were to go back and play it now, it would be fine. But at the time, I just just found it too traumatic trying to play the expansion (laughs) because I was a wuss. You know, now I've got got good, get good, got good. What's the what's the past tense of get good? I guess it's got good. I'm sure it'll be fine and fun now. I'm such a wuss. I can't do it. I don't know, if they made it so all the bosses were something more like, like Teletubbies. And if it's all set up in Teletubby land, maybe I could do it all. Just summon help. Just summon help. That's all you have to do. I'll do that. If I, if I go in again. We don't have to play it, Ting. It's fine. But I was kind of hoping that they would put it on the Switch. And I wasn't expecting a remaster on all the consoles, but great. Even better. I guess it will... Because you could already get a fan-made patch called DS Fix for Dark Souls on PC that actually unlocked the resolution and frame rate and made it look way better. So I guess this remastered edition is just going to natively support that and probably, you know, bring in all of the Dark Souls 3 kind of better looking textures and models and maybe some of like the cloth physics and stuff too. It has been a while since I played it. It probably does not look as good as it does in my mind. So I'm looking forward to this remaster. So all I know is now 1080p, 60 frames on the... PS4 and Xbox. I'm not even sure if there's a PC remaster now. Can you make it a fact? Can you just confirm it? Yes, there is. Fact. We need like a massive stamping sound. Global Game Jam. It's next weekend. Is soon, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's fine to say. As of the time we record this podcast, Global Game Jam is next weekend. So I'll be going for the first time. Yay! Team Lost Levels Club. Even though you're not supposed to have a pre-made team. But, you know, I'm going, you're going, some other people from the Retro Games meetup are going. I'm sure there'll be a whole bunch of people I've seen before and loads of people I've never met before showing up to the Hong Kong site. 
a lot of people come there's usually what 150 to 200 people who register for the hong kong global game jam site so it's actually a pretty big site we don't know the theme yet obviously because this is before well it's a week ahead in advance so you've downloaded unity actually only on my pc not on my laptop <laughs> yeah actually i just realized you're gonna have to do it on the mac don't laugh uh-oh I, I only say uh-oh because a previous time we went one of us was on a mac and one of us was on a pc and all the controller stuff just works completely differently on a Mac. And that was one of the reasons we wasted literally six hours trying to get this Xbox 360 controller to work. Because it didn't work on the Mac full stop. Uh, or it did work, but none of the code was transferable to PC. Like, all the button mappings were different. It was a complete disaster. But we have an answer for that now. Well, I think that library I've got only works on PC. <laughs> anyway, doesn't matter. We'll figure something out. I hope so. Yeah. So it's your third year. Yes. So if we're progress, if you're progressing as you've, if you're making the same leap as you did from year one to year two, year three should be fantastic. Yeah, let's hope. Hopefully, get started a bit quicker. I can remember a bit more unity. <laughs> you know how to handle the politics. How to handle the politics? Yeah, ignore everyone else and just do what I want to do anyway from the start. <laughs> yeah, it's like I can count on your support. I hope, Ting course that's why i'm there right yeah <laughs> we'll pass a motion in the senate to make me supreme leader of whatever our team name is i don't know how it's gonna shake out but i am looking forward to it i don't know i i've really enjoyed it the other two years i've gone and i've come out at the far end of that weekend you know feeling really positive about like game dev and dev and you know making something in a short time, hackathon type, you know, creativity. So, yeah, I'm hoping it, it's like that again. Hopefully you have something we can run with. Well, so I'm going to say that in advance, I think we should make something fun. I think we shouldn't make anything too high concept. I think we should make an actual game. Let's see if that plan survives. It's all up to you, isn't it? It depends what the theme is. I mean, the theme might be something ludicrous and very hard to actually make anything on well i mean depends how creative you are interpreting it i think there's actually you know they have these diversifiers yes they give you optional suggestions for kind of challenges you can meet with your game and one of them is cardboard to make use of cardboard with your game and it was just really timely because obviously Nintendo Labo. <laughs> so I'm wondering if we'll see many people there make games involving cardboard or try and do something Labo-like. I wonder if anyone just bring a VR headset. I mean, they could. You need quite a chunky PC, though, to run anything serious with VR. Well, you say that. There's, there's like the Samsung kind of one designed to be powered by a phone and stuff, so maybe not. So we'll see. So we shall see. So we went to Global Game Jam. It's a time skip. It's the future again. Global Game Jam has been and gone. I went. Well, duh. You already <laughs> said you were going to go. And I went too. I can flake. You can flake. True. So we made a game. Should we talk about the game or should we talk about the logistics? I think you should talk about it because I talked about it last year. We had a whole podcast about 
Global Game Jam last year. So, what did you think of it, Ting? <laughs> I know what April thinks of it. We should say, we're recording from your flat. My cupboard this time. Ting's cupboard, not my cupboard. We're less repaired in this one, so slightly more echoey. So first things first, we arrived, food was gone. Yes, as if that was the most important thing, but yes. That was the most important thing on a Friday night when you first get to an event and there's a promise of free food. Yeah, I guess they served the food at 6.30 sharp. So we rocked up, what, 7.30, found a table, congregated around it, dropped our stuff off, went to the main hall got played this bizarro keynote with some guy in well there were two keynote speeches so one of them was very long and rambling and everyone was like what is this get to the point and it was just like wistful and slow and we were like oh please get to the point and then the second one was a guy in spandex thrusting his crotch provocatively F the mainstream, blow your friends. <laughs> blow the others. Blow the others, that was it. Blow the others, minds. But mostly blow the others. Go underground. I think that was the keynote that made the most impression on everyone. Several games used him as a as a fixture. That was a good way to set the tone. I don't know if that was the same for every year. Yeah, there's always a couple of keynotes. Bizarre ones like that? No. <laughs> that one was particularly memorable. And the theme this year was transmission. Yes, the word transmission. So Friday night was brainstorming, we don't need to talk about that. Well, we, I mean, we can say a bit about the ideas we came up with. We should say, I mean, we, we went there and we met up with the other people from the Retro Games meetup. So we kind of had a pre-made team. Though, as usual, we didn't all go on one team. So one of us split off and did something else. And that left six of us working together, for better or worse. Dun, dun, dun. And then, yes, brainstorming ideas on transmission. I made a note of a few. One of them was trying to land a space module. Yeah, so I guess for this one, we were thinking... The transmission, obviously, is the control signal to this spaceship that's trying to land. And if you are based on Earth and it's trying to land on the moon, the delay as you go further and further is going to get longer and longer. So it'll become hard to control. And I was in two minds about it, whether this would be fun or not fun. I think on the one hand, it'd be really frustrating and not fun. But on the other hand, it might be so frustrating that it becomes fun in a super jank kind of way, like quop. Or getting over it. So the next idea I think that we came up with was Space Wars. Space War? Yeah, so Space War being a super old school game where it's kind of like asteroids, but instead of blowing up asteroids, you're trying to blow up another spaceship. But again, this idea of increasing control delay as you get further away from your home planet. So you could try and play very aggressively but then your enemy has like the home field advantage because your controls are really delayed. At least that's how I was imagining it in my mind. Goodness knows what everyone else was thinking. And then a final completely different idea was 
obviously transmission radio so there was a suggestion about making some kind of adventure game and being like a radio operator in a bunker and trying to build a radio in like a post-apocalyptic wasteland or something but i don't think that would have been playing to our strengths on the grounds that we had three professional coders and three not professional artists as in to say their day job is nothing to do with art we're not full-time professional game devs though. we're definitely not professional game devs at least we're professional coders of some flavor okay anyway we didn't go with any of those ideas we didn't go with any of those ideas well someone said the word lag at some point and then in the context of the spaceship idea we were saying oh well it's like a rocket with control lag like rocket lag and then it was like oh rocket lag that's a good name and then of course rocket lag sounds like rocket league so we're like oh why don't we make rocket league but with rc cars and there can be lag on the controls so it's rocket lag and then we had another few ideas on that theme so the idea of maybe changing frequencies to control different cars so you could both like fight for the same frequency to control a particular car so maybe someone's about to score a goal but you can just also grab control of that car and try and steer it away or maybe you can leave a car in front of your goal to try and defend it but you can be playing as an attacker and then flip back to control the defender if you lose control of the ball so you know some element of tactics there plus the lag element there will be some kind of transmitter maybe it'll be near your goal so again you've got a home field advantage or maybe the transmitter will move around or something just to justify the word lag in the title so that is actually what we went with in the end but the design process was on friday would you say it went smoothly as smoothly as possible for you know friday night six people trying to decide something there was a moment when everything was just rude word lag all sorts of something rude word lag I don't know. I felt like it was the same as last year. Where... What was last year? Um, where I was just obstinate and refused to back down and someone else in the team was also just refused to back down and we were both just like pushing for our ideas and refusing to back down. It was done subtly. Done subtly. I thought it was very civilised. <laughs> really? I thought it was done passive aggressively and I was just being an uber jerk very politely. This is in my own words. I was just being a massive jerk, really politely. So you didn't feel this? I think I'm just more prepared for it. So let's skip ahead to Saturday. Yeah, so a sufficiently large majority of the team was rallied behind Rocket Lag, the RC Car Rocket League ripoff, and then Saturday, trying to code the actual game. We tried to rip something off. Rip off something else. Are you talking about ripping off Rocket League or are you talking about ripping off the code? The code. So, none of us actually had used Unity since last year, basically, and we'd all pretty much forgotten everything. And also Unity has moved on since last year. So, we did the same trick that we did last year and took one of the Unity tutorial projects and then just ripped it to pieces. But unlike last year... This Unity tutorial project actually looked really good. It looked super pro. 
And as you'll be able to see if you watch the video we made, the game goes from looking pretty awesome to being gradually demade into this pile of jank. I was impressed how we were able to deconstruct it and reconstruct it into some sort of like Frankenstein's monster. Well, we got it done. So we did successfully manage to make a four-player 2D make of Rocket League where you can switch which car you control by pushing a controller button and also there's a transmitter that moves around the pitch randomly and the farther you are away from the transmitter, the worse your car controls. Like its top speed like drops off and your turning circle gets bigger. We didn't actually manage to implement proper lag because we just didn't go around to it. The code would have been more complicated and we just, we barely had time as it was. We also did a terrible job of utilizing the full skills of our team. We got like one guy was working on sound effects and we completely failed to integrate any of the sound effects on account of running out of time. Sorry, Roger. We did at least use the music. So that got done at least. And similarly with the art, it was a bit of a last minute bodge it all together. But you know, it worked. It wasn't as janky as I wanted it to be. It wasn't as janky as you wanted. How much janky could it have been? You saw the levels of jank we were working with. On Saturday night, everyone fell apart looking at, seeing how janky it was. Everyone fell apart. (laughs) What are you trying to say, Ting? (laughs) Please, please give your description of the situation. No, everyone said it was really, thought it was really funny, right? I remember one moment, Saturday night, between the hours of 4pm and 7pm, you you added no value. (laughs) Is that what I did? And then after dinner, you were complaining like, what is, what is everyone doing? And then at, my, at no point had you contributed. And then you, I thought it was really funny. You were, you became some sort of uber jerk. And I really, I loved, I loved it. You were so funny, I thought. <laughs> I did. Yeah, you're right. I became intensely unhelpful for a bit. I was just like flailing my arms around and going, what is this? What is this trash? What are you doing? <laughs> what is this nonsense? It's like, please stop talking to me. I'm trying to code. Fine. I'll explain to you how to do your job. Sorry. Sorry. It's, it's coming back now. <laughs> that was hilarious. I, I did actually like catch norovirus or something this weekend because we were crammed in a room full of like filthy students. Offending and everyone. No one is safe. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's equal opportunities, you know. So I actually, to be honest, spent a large percentage of the evening just either vomiting or pooping and feeling generally sorry for myself, which probably contributed to my foul mood. And then like you lot all went off for dinner. And while you went off for dinner, I just went and wrote a significant portion of the game without distractions. So at least we got it done. <laughs> it was, it was hilarious actually. I did say to you, Aren't you glad you don't work for me after all? <laughs> yeah, so we pulled it all together Sunday morning. It all miraculously came together. We had a complete game. Probably a very unhealthy way to make something, but I really enjoyed it. And in the end, was it fun? Yes, it was. You're right, I had the same feeling, you know, as you mentioned in the, the clip X weeks ago. It makes it seem so easy. It makes it seem so easy. No, we were able to produce something in under 24 hours. Imagine what we could do with an extended amount of time. 
Imagine what we could do if we were actually competent at using Unity. So did we make something fun, which is what you wanted to do? Yeah, I thought on the whole it was pretty fun. I mean, it could do with a lot more tuning. It could do with a lot more tuning. But the basics of it are there. I do think I also realise now that the lag mechanic is not fun. It's, it's not extreme enough to be funny in a janky way. But neither is it fun enough to be fun in an actual fun way. But, you know, these things I think you can't really tell unless you try it. Yeah. So, yeah, we've got some sort of baseline for a game. Do you think we have something to run with? I think what we made the year before was better. <laughs> and the judges obviously thought so too, because we didn't win anything this year. <laughs> Except confusion after our trailer rolled. <laughs> like, it's over? Yeah, they cheered for us the video to start, but they, there was no cheer at the end. <laughs> Again, you can watch the trailer and decide for yourself. Will you be back next year? Yeah, I'll be back next year. I hope I'll be. I have a point to prove. Maybe we can actually have Team Lost Levels Club and it can just be the two of us with no artistic direction. And we'll sponsor an award as well. We'll sponsor an award, yeah. And we'll, we'll award it to ourselves. <laughs> that would be amusing. I, th- I think it was also a bit different this year because it was so huge. There were so many teams. It was even bigger than last year. So hardly anyone actually had a chance to play anyone else's game. And all the voting was literally just done on one minute trailers for everyone. So even if we had actually made something super fun, people wouldn't have known. And judging it entirely off the trailer, it is hard to get it across, especially since our trailer was, again, a comical montage of us making the game and showing, like, the demaking process. And we didn't even take in-game footage. We sort of took off-screen footage. You mean phone footage of yeah. the game running on someone's laptop? Should have known better. It's fine. We're going there for fun, not to win. At least I'm going there for fun, not to win. I actually quite like our mega jank trailers and the mega jank game. I do feel very slightly cheated, though, out of... Well, not that we would have won the prize, but the team that did win the prize, or at least several of the teams that did actually win a prize, didn't upload a working version of their game and didn't upload any source code to the website, which does seem against the spirit of the thing. They literally just uploaded the trailer or some screenshots, which means that you could technically win without actually making a game. You could just literally make a trailer, which does not really seem right. But at the end of the day, you know, you're doing it for yourself. If you want to go and just win by making a good trailer, that's your decision. I mean, personally, I'm going there to make a game and have fun and argue with my colleagues in a uber jerk way. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. I, f- I feel, looking back on it now, I feel bad because I did exactly the same thing I did last year. It was and last so- year, we at least had the sweetener of winning something. It was worth it in the end. It was worth it because I told them what was- Sorry. It was more subtle passive aggression, if that's any better. I'm not sure it is, but is is it a very British way to get across your discontent? I'm not going to say I disagree with you to your face, but I really disagree with you. I do think it might be better for everyone if I was just on a different team next year. On your own? <laughs> on my own, yeah. Or only if you... Um... <laughs> Are very submissive. <laughs> yeah. That'll be your pitch on the stage. 
<laughs> I, I'm looking for teammates who will bow to my will. On that note. <laughs> on that note. Back to present day. <laughs> we were Lost Levels Club. We still are Lost Levels Club. Please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please, please, please. You can find us on email. Mike.and.ting at lostlevels.club. On Twitter. At Lost Levels Club. On YouTube. And Twitch as Lost Levels Club. On Reddit. Slash r slash Lost Levels Club. That's it. That's it. So Michael says bye. Bye bye.